Well, good morning again, everybody. It is really a privilege to be here with you. As V said, I'm Mark Schultz, and uh, I get to be the senior pastor at Trinity, which means I get to get to go to all four of the sites. Um, although I was telling a few people this morning, I love coming here because you guys have the best coffee. I love Dunkin' Donuts coffee. It's really <laughs> the best. So, um, uh, Hey, we are going to be looking at a story in God's Word that's found in Luke chapter 19. So if you're one of those people that brings your Bible with to church and you want to follow along, take a look at it. Uh, Luke 19. Um, by the way, if you've got a smartphone, you know you can always have your Bible with you. That's pretty amazing. What an amazing gift from God, right? That right there, technology helps us have, our, have God's Word with us everywhere. So, uh, so Luke chapter 19. We're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus. But first, would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that the words I'm about to speak this morning and the thoughts that we think as together we study your word, we meditate on it, um, we consider its worth and value and, and truth for our lives. Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O oh God, who is indeed a generous God. All right, sing it with me if you know it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Now some of you are sitting there going, that's cool, I haven't sung that since I was a little kid, that was fun. And some of you are going, what is wrong with all these people in this room right now, right? Yeah, if you grew up in the church, uh, you probably knew that song. Uh, and that's because the story of Zacchaeus is like one of those go-to stories for Sunday school time, for kid street time, right? It's one of those stories that we teach uh, kids from little on, and that song uh, really helps. I was trying to find it last night. I actually have a video of my son when he was about four singing that song. It's like the cutest thing in the world, right? Um, at least to me, anyway, it is, but uh, didn't find it. So, but, but here's, before we start, uh, looking at the story, I want to tell you something. Zacchaeus was a lot more than a wee little man. See, the Sunday school version of Zacchaeus is cute. Zacchaeus was not cute. Um, the people in, in, in the town of Jericho where Zacchaeus lived would have called Zacchaeus evil. Zacchaeus was a collaborator. Now, uh, let me unpack that for you a little bit. Uh, um, Fast forward in time to World War II, you remember the Germans uh, conquered France, right, fairly early in the war, and for, for the rest of World War II, most of the rest of World War II, there were towns, cities in France that were under Nazi rule. And uh, there was a resistance uh, there in France. There were people in those towns who, uh, who worked hard to try to stop the Nazis every chance they got and smuggle Jews out of cities and do whatever they could to frustrate the work, the evil work of the Nazis. But there was in almost every town and every city in France, uh, French people, people that lived in those towns, people that had family in those towns who collaborated with the Nazis. They ratted out their fellow town members. They got rich out of the relationship with the Nazis. Now, go back to Zacchaeus' time. That was Zacchaeus. See, they were under Roman rule, Israel was, in those days. And Zacchaeus was one of those Jews that sold his soul to the devil, that, that sold out his fellow town members and worked for the Roman 
government. He was a tax collector. And, and what that meant was the Romans told him, here's how much you need to collect from the town of Jericho and, and give it to us. And if you collect more than that, it's yours. And if you look at Luke chapter 19, it says at the very beginning that Zacchaeus was a tax collector and it says he was rich. Which means he was wringing every penny he could out of his fellow Jews. And when they couldn't pay, he was doing things like selling their daughters off into slavery. Zacchaeus was evil. He was the worst of the worst in this town of Jericho. Now, let, let me give you a little bit more information about this story. Uh, Jesus is up at a place called Galilee, and I'm going to show you where that is on a map in just a minute. Um, but it says, while he was there, it says, the days drew near for him to face his being taken up. Uh, now, that refers to, as you can probably guess, his ascension, but it means even more than that. It means his crucifixion, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension, the end of his mission here on this earth. And it says the days were coming where that was about to happen. And it says this, and I love this translation. It says, so he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was determined that it was time. Been on this earth over 30 years at this point. But now is the time for him to give his life for us, as V was talking about before. God loved the world so much that he gave, and now it was time for him to give. Given away no one else ever had. He's, he's heading to Jerusalem to die. And, and so he sets his face on Jerusalem. Now, again, I told you, um, I, I'd show you what this looked like. So first of all, here's Jesus and his disciples. That's an actual picture. No, it's not. Um, but, uh, but, but, but so Jesus heads out with his disciples, and of course, how would they get there? They would have walked, right? So he begins this journey. Now, now let me show you. Um, Galilee is up off the top of the map there. You see, I put an arrow there. It's, it's up there. It's up off the top of this map. Um, and he's heading to Jerusalem, which is the circle that just appeared down there on the bottom. That's where Jerusalem is. He's got to get there. Now, here's the problem. The area in between where Galilee is and where Jerusalem is, where I put a red thing there, that's mountains and desert. That's not the way you want to go. And so what people would do in Jesus' day is they would head over to the Jordan River Valley to a town like Beit Shean there, that's kind of a crossroads. You can see the roads from Jesus' day are there on this map. And, uh, and then they would use one of those roads down along the Jordan River to head south all the way down, and then they would head inland towards Jerusalem, and the place where they would head inland was another crossroads there, a place called Jericho. And from Jericho, they would head on to Jerusalem. So, so you can tell now that you know the situation a little bit, Jesus has been up in Galilee. He's headed over to the Jordan River. He's walking. He's heading down to Jerusalem, and he's got to get there. He set his face to go there. Something important is about to happen there, and he's getting near the end of his journey. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. What was it like for Jesus? Every step of the way, he knows he gets one step closer to crucifixion. Every step of the way, he gets one step closer to getting beaten to within inches of his life by the Roman guards. Every step of the way, he knows he's getting closer to this horrible thing he's about to do. 
Now, I, I don't know about you. Have you ever had a trip like that? Um, one time, my wife and I, we were up in Michigan. We were on vacation. And middle of the week, we get a phone call from our neighbor. He says, uh, there's three feet of water in your basement. We had a flood and your sump pump must not have worked. And uh, I saw your pump like running constantly. I knew something was wrong. I peeked in the windows and all I see is water in your basement. We're like, oh, crap. So we got in the car and we're, you know, racing home. And every mile we're just getting closer to having to face this disaster in our house. It was terrible. How much worse was it for Jesus? So I just want you to kind of have the mindset that Jesus had for this trip. He's got something really important he's going to do, and it would have dominated his thoughts. And as he gets close, he gets close to the town of, Jerusalem, or of Jericho. Now, here's what would have happened in Jesus' day. Jesus was a well-known prophet and teacher at, by this point. People love Jesus. Everywhere he goes, the crowds come out to meet him. And so as he got close to Jericho, the word would have spread, Jesus is coming, he's almost here, and here's a few things that would have happened. First of all, the people in the town, the, the, the leaders in the town, they would have got a feast ready. They would have wanted to celebrate this great teacher coming to their village. They would have had a feast ready to celebrate Jesus. Second of all, probably one of the most prominent leaders in the town would have had his house cleaned up and ready to go so Jesus could stay in the guest room. They would have invited Jesus. They would have wanted to extend hospitality to Jesus. They would have wanted to keep him there as long as he was willing to stay. Now, of course, they didn't know that Jesus had an appointment he was heading to in Jerusalem. So they've rolled out the red carpet. And now as Jesus approaches, the people would have, would have been run, running out of town. They would have met him out there on the road. Uh, they would have walked with him into the town and through the town. They would have extended, again, that invitation, Jesus, we have a feast right here, ready. Please come be the guest of honor. They would have said, and, and, and by the way, you know, uh, Shlomo over here, he's got a room in the upper, he's got a ready, place ready for you to stay, the best room in his house. That's what would have happened. But as Jesus heads into town, he doesn't stop. He says, thanks, sorry, don't have time to eat. That, that by the way, would have been, just about unheard of in those days. Um, when when I've, I've visited a few ministries in, in, uh, in Israel sometimes, and when you go there, they warn you, be ready, because you're going to eat everywhere you go. And sure enough, you sit down, they go, oh, cake, or whatever. There's always something to eat. And, and uh, our guide told us, do not say no. If you say no, they will be terribly insert, uh, insulted. But Jesus says, no, sorry, got to keep going. And the story tells us he passes through Jerusalem. But as he's getting out on the other side of town, and we know it was the other side of town because remember the story says that Zacchaeus had climbed up a sycamore tree. Those had to be grown at least 25 feet outside the city limits. So as he's heading out of town, he stops and he looks up into this tree. And there's Zacchaeus. It's an interesting moment. Now, I'm going to come back and tell you the rest of the story later. Right now, we're, we're in this series that we're just beginning today, and it's called Imitation Generosity. And uh, as V said before, we want to look at, we want to talk about what it means to really be generous people, to truly reflect the generosity of our God. Because you see, guys, we have an incredibly generous God. And I, I love to say it this way all the time. You are never more like Jesus than when you are being generous. 
And so we're going to take these next four weeks, and we're going to talk about what it means to be generous. But, but, but first, let's reflect a little bit on how God is generous to us, because I would argue with you he's generous with us in maybe more ways than you thought about. Here's, here's what I say. The first way God is generous to us is he is generous with his time. I love this. Um, oh, that's, that's not Luke 19, actually. That's actually Psalm, uh, I forgot. It's a psalm. I just wrote the wrong reference up there. Sorry. But, 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 but uh, the psalm tells us this, that, that our God, uh, this God of Israel, never slumbers or sleeps. He's always there for you. There's never a moment where he isn't there for you. You don't have to make an appointment with him to pray and talk to him, right? All you got to do is talk to him and he's there. Do you remember that uh, that movie, um, uh, Bruce Almighty? Remember? Um, He's, uh, he's, he's, he he, he gets to take over for God for a little while, right? And, uh, and, and so he's got it set up so he can answer prayers on his computer, and, uh, and so he answers a few prayers, he goes to bed, he sleeps, he gets up the next morning and there's something like two million prayer requests, right, that came in overnight that he's been neglecting. And so you remember what his solution is? He just answers yes to all the prayers. Doesn't even look at him, just yes, okay? So like chaos breaks out because everybody gets what they wanted and some of it wasn't good for people. You know, like people, like there were like 800,000 people that wanted to win the lottery, so they all did and they all got like 10 bucks, you know, and stuff like that, right? Yeah, it's just, it's a disaster. But, but see, that's not God. God never goes to bed and wakes up the next morning and goes, oh crap, two and a half million prayer requests. I guess I have to deal with these, right? He's always there for us. And, and when we talk to him, when we pray, whether that's um, in the middle of our commute to work or whether it is in the middle of the night when we wake up and can't go back to sleep, whatever it is, we have his full attention. And I don't know how that's possible. I just know it's true. That's what God promises He gives us his time whenever we want it. Here's another way God is generous to us, and this is the right reference. 2 Corinthians 1, 4 says this, that he comforts us in all our troubles. It's it's not just that God is there whenever we want to talk to him, that whenever we need him, but when we need him, when we reach out to him, what we will find is we will find someone who has time to comfort us, who is is there um, to Give us exactly what we need. I love what we sang before, those words, his grace is enough. His grace is enough for us. No matter what's going on in our lives, he's there to comfort us. How about this? Psalm 145, 16 says it this way. It says, to God, it says, you open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. And I love that the word there is desires, not the needs. Right? Right? I mean, we talk about that sometimes. We say, we talk about the difference between wants and needs, right? Well, I might say, man, I really need a new TV for the Super Bowl this afternoon, right? No, do you really need that new TV? Probably not. You, you might want that new TV, right? We talk about that all the time. But this verse says God doesn't just supply our basic needs and say, that's it. I've done enough. You're on your own for the rest. Literally, it says that God showers blessings into our lives. He, he, he provides in so many amazing ways for us. I, I, I love this one too. This is John 14, verse 2 and 3, where, where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And by the way, this was on that trip from Galilee down to Jerusalem, this last trip when he was together with his disciples. And he says to them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
He says, when I, everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Think about that. The God of the universe looks at you and me and he says, I'm preparing a place in heaven for you. And here's why. Because I want to be with you for eternity. Think about that. The other day, um, my wife sent me a text. It's been kind of a crazy, hectic week. Um, I'd been out of town, and I got back, and there was a pile of stuff I had to get to, and then there was a bunch of new disasters I had to deal with. And, uh, and so it was one of those crazy weeks. And uh, I think it was Thursday afternoon, my wife texted me, and she said, I can't wait to just hang out with you tonight. I was like, yeah. And, and doesn't that make you feel awesome when, when somebody you care about says, I just want to be with you? That's what Jesus says to us. He says, I just want to be with you. I just want to hang out with you. I've got a place prepared for you. Come on over and hang out with me. So think about this. As we study God's word, and I could have shown you more passages. Um, Hopefully I would have got the references right on on the rest of them. But uh, but, uh, there are four different ways that we think about being generous. See, I think a lot of times when you heard we were going to do a series on generosity, you were like, oh, it's going to be all about money. And, and we are going to talk about money. That's, that's one of the ways that we are generous. But it's so much more than that. When we think about being generous, when we think about reflecting the generosity of God, when we think about living lives of generosity, we want to think about more than just our money. We want to think about our time. Are we able to be generous with our time to the people that need our time. We, we want to think about emotional support. You know, are, are we equipped to be there for people? And, and by the way, that involves more than just the time. It involves, it involves the ability uh, to, to truly empathize and to care and, uh, and, and to be willing uh, to give support to others. And, and by the way, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when I'm kind of teetering on the edge emotionally, I'm in no position to help others. It, it, it does mean our material blessings. Are we ready to be generous financially when the opportunity presents itself? When we have a chance to make a difference, are we ready to do that? Are we able to do that? And, and finally, another great way to be generous is, is to be hospitable, to, to, to open up our home, to open up our lives, to, to welcome people in. That's another way that we're generous. Now, by the way, um, I, don't, I don't know if, uh, if Pastor Mike's going to get to some of this information with you later in this series or not, but, uh, but one of the things we've learned over time is that different generations have different want, kinds of these generosities that they're better at than others. Um, I remember hearing a story recently about a pastor preached a sermon. He's like, all right, I want all of you to go out this week, and he was an older guy like me. He said, I want all of you to go out this week, and I want you to be generous. And then the next week before a sermon, he's like, all right, I want to hear some stories. Now, he was thinking money, you know, give, give a homeless guy something or, or give a big tip to a server. Or he was thinking financially because people from my generation, when we think about generosity, our first thought tends to be money. But you know what? A lot of younger generations, it's, it's more time or emotional sport or hospitality, and so before the sermon, he's like asking, okay, so how are you generous? And this one he goes, we invited our next door neighbor over. He's, he's never been in our house before. He's kind of a jerk. Nobody in the neighborhood likes him. But we invited him over and we had dinner with him. And the pastor's like, okay, you know. And then he's, he asked somebody else and, and she's like, you know, um, there's this one coworker I have and, and she was really struggling and I could tell and I went over to her and I said, hey, you know what? 
I, I got a lot of stuff to do today, but I can stay an hour later. Can I just sit and talk with you a little bit? What, what's going on? How can I help? Pastor's like, okay. And, and it was evident pretty quickly that his idea of what was generous and their idea were two very different things. Well, in this series, we want to make sure we don't make that mistake. And, and we want to talk about what it means to be generous in these, all these different areas of our lives because that's the kind of generous God that we have. He doesn't just shower material blessings in our lives, but he gives generously of his time, and, and he cares for us, and he's prepared a place for us. So that's what this series is going to be all about. We're going to talk about this amazing, incredibly generous God. But one of the things we know is a lot of times we think we're being generous when we're really not. Um, it was a number of years ago. I think I had been at Trinity maybe two or three years. And, and there was this couple that I knew, and, uh, and um, uh, we, were, we were doing this special youth trip in the summer. Our youth were going on this work camp trip, kind of like they do now, but it was one of the first times we were doing it. And we were doing this thing where you could sponsor a youth, you know? And we were doing things like, you can sponsor a youth's head for $25 and send his head on this trip, you know? And, you know, we're trying to be clever and trying to be funny and stuff like that. You sponsor a youth's feet, and it's, you know, we, and, and we had little, like, things we put, like, partial youth that were going and all this kind of stuff, right, we were doing. And, and again, we were trying to be clever. And this one guy walks up to me, and he's like, all right, how much is it for the whole youth? I want to sponsor the, a whole youth to go on this trip. And I'm like, it's like 100 bucks. He's like, I'm in. And he pulls out his checkbook and he writes this check and he hands it to me. And, uh, and he's just like, he's like, I am generous. You can just tell he had that look at how generous I am kind of feeling. He was just so proud of himself. You know what I found out? They had been members at our church over 20 years. It was the first time he had given a dime. First time. Now, he walked away that day feeling like, I know what it means to be generous, right? I don't think so. <laughs> That's just not the way it works. We want to talk about what it really means to be generous. And, and again, we're not just talking about with your giving for your church or your giving to other opportunities God puts in front of you to give. We're talking about so much more than that in this series, how we can truly reflect the generosity of Jesus. So back to our Zacchaeus story. So we're told in Luke 19, verses 3 and 4, this guy Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus. He, he, it, literally, it says he wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, now, think about that for a minute. He already knew a lot about Jesus. Everybody did. He was a, a, a famous rabbi who was traveling around teaching, saying amazing things. Jesus had been involved in his ministry for three years. His reputation was huge. But Jesus, I mean, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus really was. He wanted to see for himself. By the way, just a little side note. My guess is you have people in your life that want to see who Jesus is. Now, by the way, they may not think that this is a place to find out. They may not think the church is the place. They, they may really think very poorly of the church, but they're intrigued by Jesus. They want to know who Jesus is. And Zacchaeus was one of these guys. He wanted to know who Jesus is, but it says, on account of the crowd, he could not. And then it says, because he was small in stature. Now, we tend to think of it this way, that the, the crowd is there, and, and Zacchaeus is in the back jumping, and he just can't see Jesus, right? 
But there's really more than that going on here. What do you think would have happened to this little Zacchaeus if he had tried to push his way through the crowd? Somebody would have knifed him. They hated this guy. You know, and all of a sudden the crowd moves on and there's Zacchaeus laying there bloody and dead. That's very real possibility here. So Zacchaeus does two unbelievable things. First of all, it says that he runs ahead. Men in the Middle East do not run. Especially men of importance. They don't need to run. People run for them. But he runs And he gets to the sycamore tree and he climbs the tree. And again, that's something a man would never do. I heard a really cool story this week. Uh, The U.S. ambassador to Egypt, uh, the the compound in Egypt um, is walled in. It's got a big backyard in it. And uh, um, there's lots of trees and everything back in that yard. And and the ambassador was going to be hosting a party for some dignitaries. And uh, they had lights strung up in the trees, and one of those strings of lights had come down. And so the ambassador himself just kind of hoofed his way up the tree, climbed up there, got the lights back in place. And a few of the people that worked there saw him do it, and the word got around. And later, when the president of Egypt, Nasser, um, had a meeting with the ambassador, before the ambassador said anything, he said, I need to know something. Is it true? Did you climb a tree? And he was like, I did. And Nasser was like, he was stunned. Still today, men in Israel did not climb trees, but Zacchaeus did. He was desperate. He was desperate to find out about Jesus. And Jesus stops. And he looks up in the tree. And I imagine the crowd is like, yes, Jesus saw Zacchaeus. He, he's he's going to let him have it. He is going to call him out. He's, he, he, might even, he, might even, he might even strike Zacchaeus dead. But Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry up. Come on down. I'm staying at your house today. What do you think the villagers thought? Like, oh my gosh, what is he doing? What is he thinking? Doesn't he know who this guy is? And then they're thinking, well, wait, so so our house wasn't good enough for him, but Zacchaeus' is? But folks, this amazing thing happens. Zacchaeus comes down. And even though, remember where Jesus is headed? Remember, he's he's in a hurry. Remember, he knows exactly where he's supposed to be. And remember, his thoughts had to be dominated by what he was supposed to do. Jesus stops on his journey, and he goes to Zacchaeus' house, And he sits and has dinner with him and his family, and he gives his time. He gives his compassion. He gives emotional support. Jesus was there for Zacchaeus in a dramatic way. And the end result was this. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. The generosity of Jesus produced in Zacchaeus an unbelievably generous response. And it can in your life and mine too. I wish I knew what that looked like those next few days. As Zacchaeus started walking around Jericho giving out money to people. At what point did they kind of go, what is going on here? 
Well, Jesus put it this way. He told his followers, salvation has come to this home. He's talking about Zacchaeus's today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus has come to seek and save you and me. And over these next four weeks, we're going to look at these different ways that we can be generous in response to that love for us. But right now, I want to pray that we would just sit in awe this morning of God's incredible generosity to us. Will you pray with me? Lord, um, <laughs> I don't deserve your time. I, I, I don't deserve your attention. I, I certainly don't deserve that you would prepare a place in heaven for me where I can live with you forever. I don't deserve all the blessings you've showered in my life, and yet, Lord, you give yourself to me in amazing ways. You came to seek and save the lost, and that's me, Lord. Lord, thank you that you've been so generous to me, and I pray that you'd bless me and uh, all who believe in you. I pray you'd bless this family of believers as over these next weeks we seek to reflect your generosity to the world around us and know what it means to be truly generous like you. In your name we pray. Amen.